Merry Christmas. So many thank yous this morning. Uh, it's wonderful to have the Nichigo Choir here and the English Choir and then the Children's Choir and the worship team and Roberta and Trinity sharing the Advent uh, candle lighting. And uh, so, so many great things today. Today is our Christmas program Sunday, and this is a special Sunday. Uh, part of the reason you know it's special is this is the one Sunday a year I'm going to wear a tie. So don't get used to it. This is, this is a once-in-a-lifetime, I shouldn't say once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-year time type thing. And uh, so today is a special day. And uh, where we're going to focus this morning on in terms of the Scripture and the sermon is on Luke chapter 2, which is the Christmas story. And some of you will hear this story and you will have voices in the back of your mind. Maybe it's Linus from Charlie Brown Christmas. And, uh, you'll, and you'll hear Linus's list. This is the passage that he quotes uh, in the Charlie Brown Christmas mu- uh, movie. And so when it's all done, uh, I won't uh, put it in at that time, but you can just hear Linus say, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And, uh, and then some of you will have uh, other voices in your mind. For me, the primary voice that I will have is the voice of my grandfather. Uh, when I was a kid, every Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandpa and grandma's house, and before we opened presents, uh, my grandpa would read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And so we have certain voices running through our minds as we read the Christmas story, but my hope is that more, that above all, that we would have the voice of God that would speak to us, because what we have in this story is really what Christmas is all about, as Linus says. This is what Christmas is all about, but there is meaning behind it that is powerful. In fact, I've entitled today's message, Christmas, It's a Big Deal, and we want to read this story. We want to see why Christmas is such a big deal as we look at Luke chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Luke 2, 1 through 16. In those days, Caesar, August, August, uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among, uh, to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying there in the manger. Now I read that story and the question for us is, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Christmas? Why do we make such an emphasis on this? And it's almost, become, it's almost been said so often that it becomes cliche, but we lose the meaning of Christmas with all the holiday parties and gatherings and memories and nostalgia and then with the kids and, what, and Santa Claus and all that comes with that, we can easily lose the meaning of Christmas. And so we must ask the question, what's the big deal? Why do we give all this attention to it? And I have three reasons why Christmas is a big deal. The first reason is this. Jesus was God, was God entering into history as a man. And that's a big deal. Jesus was God entering into history as a man. You see, when we read this story, we read Luke, and he tells it as if it's history. It's not some make-believe story or uh, 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 using one's imagination to come up with a with a good story in the same vein as Santa Claus. You know, sometimes I think people think of Jesus similar as, in a similar way to Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a story we make up for kids, and then eventually we outgrow it. And Santa Claus is there to keep people in line. Kids are are motivation to behave because there's presence on the way, and we see Jesus in the same way. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, or many would say Jesus is coming, uh, coming to town. And we think that Jesus is just some made-up story like Santa Claus is. But, but Luke tells it as if it's history. It's not just a made-up story. This is an actual person in space time, and he names people and events that give it context that help us to know that Jesus was an actual person. Jesus was born between, and this is what the scholars estimate, between uh, 6 and 4 BC. And Caesar Augustus was the emperor during that time, and we know this to be a fact. I mean, we have statues from that time. Caesar Augustus was a real person who reigned over the Roman Empire from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. Right in the middle of his reign, Jesus was born. Now, Caesar Augustus was a person that we know a little bit about. He was the adoptive son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar adopted his nephew as his son because He was so threatened by his real children, he had killed them all. And so his nephew, he conferred uh, the the political capacity to to succeed him as his heir. And what we know about Caesar Augustus is that he was ruthless in his rise to power, but when he assumed power, he was actually quite benevolent, at least compared to the other rulers of that day. 
For example, King Herod that we read about in the, in the Bible was just a maniacal man throughout his whole life. But Caesar Augustus, we see, has some, uh, some kindness to him. Not that he was a follower of Christ or of God, but he was fairly benevolent. Quirinius was one of his governors. In fact, in this passage, it says that he was governor over Syria. Over Syria. This was one of the areas in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a massive empire. It was long-standing and far-reaching, it was a, it was, it, and it lasted for a long time. And, and so Quirinius was one of the governors. And if we were to put this in parallel terms for our, governor, uh, for our government structure, think of Caesar Augustus as the president and Quirinius as one of his cabinet members. That's what a governor would have been like. And so we can so Quirinius' job as governor was to enforce and execute the various policies and decisions that Caesar Augustus was making. And one of those decisions was to have a census. You see, I point all of this out to, uh, to make sure that we understand that Jesus was an actual person, not just some made-up story. He existed in time. In fact, most historians uh, at least acknowledge that Jesus was a person that actually lived on this earth and gathered a following around him. But, Je- but Jesus being born as a man on this earth is not why he is significant. That's not what is such a big deal. The reason Jesus is a big deal is because he is not only man, but he is also God at the same time. That is a big deal. That is what is behind the doctrine of the virgin birth, that Jesus had an earthly mother, Mary, but, he, but as the angel said, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so he is at one time fully God and at the same time fully man. And we have a hard time getting our minds around it, but that's the, that is what the meaning of Christmas is all about. That is why this is such a big deal, that Jesus was the God-man. And that's huge. In fact, it changes everything. And this is a big deal. Christianity is the only religion in the world that claims this. Did you know that? Every other religion in the world has as its founder someone who is just a really good prophet or a sage. But Christianity is the only one that has as its founder a person who, is also, who also claims to be God. If you look at Buddhism, the person that became commonly known as the Buddha rejected the cultural religion of his day and he attracted all kinds of followers, but he never claimed to be God. And Hinduism has a hard time even tracing it back to one founder. Uh, They have many people who are offering wise teachings and it's a a religion that's organized around these sayings and and, uh, wise wise teachings, but there is no founder who claims to actually be God. And in Islam, uh, they claim that Muhammad was the final and greatest prophet, but Muhammad was not considered God. And Judaism has Abraham as their father and founder. And Abraham believed in God, but he was not God. Christianity is alone, uh, is unique and alone in this that has as our founder God himself, Jesus, come to this earth as God in human flesh. And that is a big deal. That's massive. And that's, what Christi- and that's why Christmas is such 
a significant event in our lives because it shows us how much God wanted to enter into this world, into people's lives. You see, the first point that Jesus was God entering into human history as a man actually points us to our second point, and that is that Jesus revealed the glory of God. Jesus revealed the glory of God. And that, again, is a big deal. When we speak of the glory of God, what we're talking about is God in all of His magnificence. We're talking about all of who God is. We're talking about His grace and His mercy, His, His justice and His holiness, His love and compassion. And all of who we know God to be is revealed in the person of Jesus. And so when we read this passage, it is full of the glory of God. The angel that appears in the sky, it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. And then he, and then he makes a pronouncement. Actually, the whole host of uh, angels make this pronouncement. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In the person of Jesus, we have the glory of God coming in a way that can be comprehended, that can be felt and touched and heard and seen. It is God in His glory come to this earth in such a way that we can comprehend it. And this is a big deal. Up until this point, no one could see the glory of God and live. In fact, Moses, who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, when he was on Mount Sinai, he asked God, may I see your glory? And that's exactly what God said. He said, no one can see my glory and live. And so what God did was he hid Moses in the cleft of a rock and he caused the, uh, God's, God caused his shadow to pass in front of him. And up until this point, that's all we've had of God is just his shadow. God at arm's distance. Now, we get, uh, we get to know some of who God is through the law and the prophets, and we learn that God is love and God is holy and merciful and all of these things. But now, in the person of Jesus, God is revealed in such a way that we can come to know Him. In a personal way, we can have a relationship with Him. Jesus is here and come as God in human flesh in such a way that we can see who God is. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So in Jesus, we come to know who God is. Many people throughout, the, throughout history and in our day and age believe in God and then they begin to read the scriptures about who Jesus is and all of a sudden, God is not just some far out there being, but God is able to be understood and to be able to be grasped and we can have a relationship with him. That's why it is so valuable for us to get to know the person of Jesus. That's why for the next six months, we're studying the book of Luke to see who Jesus was and what he did and what he taught. Because in the person of Jesus, we get to see the glory of God. The worship team is going to lead us uh, in a very appropriate song at the end of our message this morning. Hark the herald angels sing. And in that, in, in that Christmas carol, there's a line that basically is the point I'm trying to make right now. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. You see, in the person of Jesus, we are able to see God himself. 
in the person of Jesus, it's as, it's as if Jesus' body is a filter so that we can see the glory of God. I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week, and if you want to look at the sun, you cannot look directly at the sun, right? It'll burn your retina. And the same is true for the glory of God. We cannot look directly at the glory of God. It'll burn our souls. No one can see the glory of God and live. But through Jesus, we have a filter. Now, if you have the right filter for a sun, you can actually see the flames dancing off the surface. And with the person of Jesus, we can see who God is, and it's beautiful. We see God in all of his glory. We see his love and his grace and his compassion and it, and, it cha- and it has the power to change our lives forever. So this is why Christmas is such a big deal. It is, it is in Jesus that God is entering into history as a man. It is because Jesus reveals the glory of God. And then the third point that I want to make this morning is that Jesus came to draw all people to himself. And that's a big deal. Jesus came to draw all people to himself. Not just some people, not just the really good people or people of a certain uh, social class. Jesus came to draw all people. As the angel said, this was good news that will cause great joy for all people so that all may be able to be drawn to God and have a relationship with him and be filled with his joy. Have you noticed how much joy is in this passage? The angels are filled with joy. The shepherds are filled with joy. If we keep going, reading on, we'll see that Mary is filled with joy. She rejoices in all of these things. And that's what a relationship with God does for us. When he draws us to himself, we are filled with joy. In such a way that we could not receive in any other, any other means in life. There is something about our relationship with Jesus when we come to trust him and we know that he is sovereign and we know that he is good and he's in control and he's faithful. It helps us have joy even during the most difficult times. That relationship with Jesus is kind of like a river that runs underground that that brings joy into our life. Did you know that there are rivers that run underground? There's water that's flowing through the ground. On the top of the ground, it can be a drought and everything can be dead. But underneath, there is water that is running. And Jesus brings the same thing into our lives. On the surface, everything can be going haywire. And we can be grieving and we can be struggling. and, And yet, in a relationship with Jesus, there is this joy that can be felt even in the midst of the the hardest times. Why? Why? Because we trust in Jesus. When I think about the birth of Jesus, I wonder how there could be joy uh, for Mary who gives birth in this dirty, stinky, smelly, messed up manger. Now, I grew up on a farm, and uh, so I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on what a manger would be like. For about, probably about 15 years of my life, there was not a day where I was not in the hog barn scooping manure. 
and uh, it was a terrible job. You had to be out there, and you get rid of the old hay and the, and the manure, and it stinks so bad, you have to like shower twice sometimes just to get the smell off of you. And the pigs are not nice. They try to push you down. And I, and, I, and, and I try to think of that picture, and I think, this is no place for a baby to be born. This is no place for the, for the God-man to be born. If Jesus was God, why was he not born in a palace as a king? Surely that would have been, uh, it could have been just as miraculous. And, I, and I've oftentimes wondered that. Why a manger? At least a hospital. Why a manger? And here's what I was thinking about uh, as, as I was wrestling with that question. Uh, an example came to mind, and I'll admit this isn't a personal example, but it's an example of skydiving. I've never been skydiving, but... Uh, I would love to go. It seems like it would be a thrill. It'd be, uh, if I had a chance, I'd go in a heartbeat. Uh, but think about this. If, let's pretend you and I are going skydiving, and we get in the plane. And I, and I looked this up to see how high skydivers jump when they jump outside out of a plane. Does anybody know, just out of curiosity, anyone been skydiving? How high were you when you jumped out of the plane? I know Sarah has actually been skydiving. Do you know how high you were? Okay. <laughs> uh, skydivers will jump anywhere between 15,000 and 20,000 feet. And so you and I are in the plane and we're climbing, we're ascending into the sky, and we're like, how far, how high should we be when we jump? And uh, we decide this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Let's tell the pilot we're going to jump from the highest height possible. We're going to jump from 20,000 feet. And so we tell the pilot, and he says, All right, you're jumping, your choice. We get up to 20,000 feet, but the barometer on the, the gauge on the pilot's uh, plane is just off slightly. So when we get to 20,000 feet, he tells us to jump, but it's actually 20,001 foot. And you think, who cares? It's one foot. You're dropping 20,000 feet or 20,000 in one foot. And I think that that is almost like what it was for God, from God's perspective in the coming of Jesus. If he were to come to be born in a palace as a king, it's 20,000 feet. If he goes to the manger, it's 20,000 and one foot. It's no big deal from his perspective. It's like one more foot. But from our perspective, this may be the most significant thing. Because we look at the manger and we think there is no more lowly birth that a person could experience. No one can look into the, uh, into the manger and say, I'm not good enough. That, Je that I'm below who Jesus would have come for. Jesus came born in a stinky, dirty manger that no baby should be born in. And so no one is able to look upon his birth and say, Jesus did not come for me. Jesus came for all people. The struggling single mom has to only look in the manger and recognize that Jesus came for her because Jesus' mother was a struggling mom who was not yet married. And Jesus came for her. And the, and the confused teenage boy has only to look into the manger and see Joseph there at Jesus' side and recognize that Joseph was a confused teenage boy. And Jesus came for him and cares about him. 
And to the elderly couple who is struggling with the difficulties of old age, here in the manger is Zachariah and Elizabeth, Jesus' uh, uncle and aunt, who are in their 80s, and they, and they have no child who is able to care for them in their old age. And yet Jesus comes for them as well. And Jesus comes for the working poor, He's born into a family of the working poor. Nazareth is a city of no more than 50 or 100 people and all full of peasants who are uneducated and probably illiterate. And this is Jesus' mom and this is Jesus' earthly family. Jesus cares for them. Jesus came for the working poor. And to the educated who are still looking for truth, to the educated man or the woman, he, has no, he or she has no farther to look than to the magi who come looking for truth in Jesus. And Jesus came for them as well. You see, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of the, ma- of the manger? The point is that Jesus came for you. There is no one outside of God's reach. All of us... Uh, are able to look into the manger and to, and to recognize that the point of Christmas is that Jesus is drawing near to us. He comes so that we can have a relationship with Him. And so let me ask you this morning, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you recognize who Jesus is? That Jesus is God in human flesh. He has come to reveal who God is, to show God's glory to us so that we can come to know God's love and His grace and His mercy and compassion. He's come to draw near to us. And that is really what Christmas is all about. In fact, if I was to summarize the meaning of Christmas in in one single Uh, sentence, it would be this, that with the coming of Jesus, God draws near to us. And that's a big deal. God draws near to us. And yet now, if we continue that on, there is also a challenge to Christmas. And the challenge is so that we might draw near to Him. So with the coming of Jesus, God draws near to us so that we might draw near to Him. You see, I find the challenge in the example of the shepherds in the field who, who, after they hear all of these things from the angels, says, let's go to Bethlehem and see, find out about the things that have been told us. And, And they begin to make their way to the manger to see Jesus Himself. There is a challenge here for us to draw near to God. It's a challenge that I hope all of us take seriously. No matter how long, that we, how long we have known God or if today is the day of salvation for us, there is a challenge for us to draw near to God. How many of you sense that God is calling you to draw nearer to Him? Maybe it is to pray more. Maybe it is to read your scriptures. Maybe it is to become consistent in coming to church or to, or to take a step of faith or obedience or, or to join a Bible study group like a growth group that's, that's studying God's Word. But there is a challenge here for us, a challenge that I hope all of us embrace and receive at Christmas. It is a challenge to, for us to draw near to God. 
You see, this is what Christmas is all about. In the coming of Jesus, God has drawn near to us so that we might draw near to him. That's what Christmas is all about. It's a big deal. You know, I mentioned uh, I've heard this story, I don't know how many times, several times from the lips of my grandpa. And uh, uh, Christmas Eve was a special time at my grandpa's house. We always had a whole routine. We'd gather around the Christmas tree and then all of the grandkids had to say their Christmas parts from their church uh, lines or from their school play. And so all the grandkids would stand up and they'd say their lines, none of which had any context. None of them made any sense uh, in and of them by its, all by itself. But every kid stood up and said his line or her line, and then everyone would clap as if it was such a great deal. And if you, play, and if you sang in the school uh, concert, then you had to stand up and sing your song. If you played an instrument, I played trumpet for one year, and I was terrible at it. I quickly realized this was not my deal. And I realized that when the band instructor told me before a concert, you know, it's okay if you just fake it. I, I realized in the moment this was probably not my, this was probably not going to be my long-term activity. And, uh, and so my grandpa, I played trumpet for one year. That year my grandpa made me play my uh, Christmas piece on my trumpet, third chair trumpet. I'm not even hardly carrying the melody, and yet here I was playing my trumpet all by myself. And then I'm sure it was terrible, but everybody claps. And then my grandpa would highlight something from this past year, and then he would read the Christmas story. And so I have all of these memories of Christmas at my grandpa's house. I I wish I could still go there, but there was uh, a few years ago I received that phone call. It was my dad on the other line, and he said, if you want to say goodbye to your grandpa, you need to come home as quickly as you can. I was living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and my grandpa was in Iowa, a 12-hour drive. I've never, never done this, but I got through that 12-hour trip with one stop right in the middle for bathroom and gas, and I got home as quickly as I could and went straight to my grandpa's house and walked into his bedroom. They had taken him off of life support, and so he lay there on his, on his own bed. And there was a certain smell in the room, and maybe you've smelled that smell. It's, it's really the stench of death, and I'll never forget that. And I went up by his side, and my grandma was with me, and she put her hand on my grandpa and said, Paul, your grandson Corey is here. And I didn't know if he'd have the strength to open his eyes and look at me, but he opened his eyes and he looked directly at me. And at first I couldn't understand what he was trying to tell me. And then, but he kept trying to say the same thing over and over again. And eventually it dawned on me that he was trying to say three words, the most powerful words anyone could ever say. And uh, he looked at me and he said, I love you. Now, I didn't really know how to respond to that once I finally comprehended what he was trying to say. And uh, my grandpa had never told me he loved me before. And yet those were the 
final words that he ever spoke to, to me. And I think when we think about Christmas, it is the idea of drawing near to God's side and to hearing him say those precious words to us, I love you. And when we first walk into the room, there is a certain stench in the room, and it's not from the manger. It's, it's what sin has done, the barrier that has been uh, created between us and God. There is a stench in the room, and yet when we draw close to Jesus' side, we can hear his words even in a, even in a dying voice because there is never a time where Jesus speaks his love to us so powerfully than from the cross. And so at Christmas we draw close to his side so that we could hear those words once again. I love you. And that's what Christmas is really about. It is about Jesus coming to this earth, God in human flesh, to be born in a lowly manger, a humble birth, so that everyone can know that they are welcomed into his presence. It is about God drawing near to us so that we might draw near to him. And that's the challenge for us at Christmas, is for each of us during the busyness of this season to take time to really draw near to him, to hear him say those precious words to us, I love you. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning and uh, we come before you with joy because of the good news that has been proclaimed to us. News that you offer to us the forgiveness of sins through the coming of your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for the good news of Christmas that you have drawn near to us in the person of Jesus that we've come to know who you are. And God, we pray that you would help us to draw near to you. God, I pray for anyone that is in this room this morning and they may feel far from you. God, I pray that they would take a few moments, even today, even before they leave this sanctuary, to just spend a few moments with you in prayer, that they may be able to draw near to you. God, thank you that you whisper those, those words to us. Thank you that they can penetrate our hearts and change our lives. Those words of love to us. And thank you that you do love us so much as is, as is seen in the coming of Jesus, as is seen from the cross, as is seen in the empty tomb that you have been raised to life so that we might have new life in your Son, Jesus. And I pray that everyone here, myself included, would be able to draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.